What's up? Welcome back to Brojo Online Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the 15 biggest mistakes that people make in self-development. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Now there's probably more than 15, and to be fair, I jotted down these 15 off the top of my head in the space of about 5 minutes. So I'll probably accidentally leave some important ones off the list. But I'm sure you'll forgive me and move on with your lives. So, self-development's a weird fucking industry, isn't it? And it's a mixture of incredible stuff. Where people who were destined to have a miserable life discover things that change that path. And they can go on to actually experience some genuine meaning and contentment and purpose in their life a sense of i know why i'm here and what i'm supposed to do and great satisfaction with that and uh, activities and relationships and everything that are really wonderful so that by the end of your life you're like i lived well that's available in the self-development space but there's also a lot of junk a lot of junk there's a lot of scam artists and you know uh, fake gurus and misinformation and just plain old-fashioned horseshit. And I'd say it's actually a majority of what takes up the space in the wobbly bubble of self-development as an industry. It's a tough it's a tough industry for me to be in. It's it's a tough job for me to have to be a coach in that I kind of despise a lot of my peers. <laughs> there are a lot of so-called coaches and and influencers out there that I think are absolutely harmful and should not be involved in this industry whatsoever. And they're either well-intentioned but severely misguided or they are deliberate scam artists trying to just, you know, utilize the vulnerability that you find in people who are into self-development to squeeze as much money out of their wallet as possible Or you get these deluded, grandiose psychopaths who believe their way is the way. That they're the next Jesus. And they try and force feed their philosophy onto others. And, you know, kind of take the lemmings off the cliff. So, I'm going to talk about some of the potential risks and threats that you face going into self-development. And hopefully help steer you away from them so that you can do it in a healthy way okay and a lot of this is learning from my own mistakes i've made most of the things on this list i've made the mistake at some point in time and paid for it and that's why it's on the list if nothing else let's get straight into it number one is what i call the information trap so the way the brain works there's this mechanism where If you have an insight, if new information, if uh, an answer is revealed, you get kind of high off it, like a dopamine rush probably. You know, when you finally figure out something that seemed to be a mystery or you realize that there was a problem that you didn't even know you had or something like that, you're like, ah, yeah, okay, I get it now, right. Now that feeling's actually dangerous because it can become addictive And it is in no way correlated to actually taking action. This is one of the biggest problems I have with guys like Tony Robbins. 
you go to one of their workshops or their seminars seminars and they get you high they literally pump you up they get you hugging and high-fiving and then when they're not doing that they're playing like you know edm music and just blasting you with all kinds of feel-good uh, stuff and then they bring you back down then they give you insight after insight after insight you're having all these great ideas and you're feeling really good two weeks later two months later two years later your life hasn't even changed why because you got high you got so high on information you felt so good about the information you received that there really was no need to move anywhere with that information you just had it and this begins a devastating trap where people start reading books and taking courses and going to seminars and workshops and even getting coaching and all this new information and insight is coming in and then they start to get frustrated because it's like i know so much more than i used to know and yet my life's still shit maybe i I need even more information and so they try to get even more information and more and they're like when is this information going to translate into a successful life when's this information going to turn into you know me enjoying myself more and they don't realize the trap they're in the trap they're in is they're putting a hundred percent of their energy into absorbing new information when really maximum 10 percent of their energy should be going towards that there's a model i can't remember if i learned it or made it up or some combination of both so if you guys know where i got this from please let me know so i can give credit it's the 10 20 70 model and it's a very basic fundamental learning model that i found if you apply it practically if you go and actually apply these percentages 10 percent 20 percent 70 percent you'll learn something rapidly and change your behavior rapidly and you know master a skill and fix a problem and if you get these percentages wrong then you'll struggle and in some cases like in the case of a hundred percent information absorption you actually won't change at all even though you feel like you know a lot more so the 10 20 70 rule is 10 percent of your effort in self-development would be information absorption that is taking on new information having new insights at most 10 percent of your time goes to that 20 percent of the time is what i'd call coaching it might be mentoring training it's where you're applying what you learned in a environment where there is somebody there to guide you and troubleshoot and get the best performance out of you a coach a trainer even a more experienced wingman partner type person who's done it before and is guiding you along the way so you're not doing it on your own but you're applying the information and then 70 percent of your time should be practice repeat 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 drills doing it over and over again making it happen doing the work a vast majority i think of people in the self-development industry the consumers are about 95 percent information absorption and maybe five percent action on a good day and that's why nothing's changing for them they're getting high you know there's a oh god i won't be able to cite it because i can't remember but there was a I think a harvard study that showed that people get such a rush from making promises that it feels like they've already followed through on the promise and they're sort of surprised when people are disappointed in them later for failing to live up to their promises because they they felt so good about the promise being made 
Well, it's something similar that happens when you get lots of insights and information. You feel like, oh, I'm definitely changing. And that's followed quickly by a, so there's no real need to do anything more than just read the next book or go to the next seminar. It's actually a little trick that your brain's pulling on you, getting you high off information so that you don't actually go and get uncomfortable with action. 70% of your time should be uncomfortable new activity. Let's put this into a real life example. Let's say I want to learn how to dance. Let's say I spend 10 minutes watching a dance video with a guy talking about techniques. That would be information absorption. You know, This is the best way to place your foot so that you've got the best balance. 10 minute video on that. I should then, for 20 minutes at least, go and work with a dance instructor on applying that technique. Dance with, you know, a professional and have them say, you know, am I doing it right or wrong? What, what would you recommend? And then 70 minutes should be spent dancing with my peers, just drilling that technique. And I am not allowed new information about dancing until that 70 minutes is complete. Most people would binge on YouTube videos about dancing, not even dance at all, and feel like they're a better dancer. That's not how it works. Let's say you want to start your own business. 10 minutes watching a video on how to approach your first client. 20 minutes going back and forth with your business mentor with some like mock approaches, like what if I said this or what if I said that? And them giving you feedback on it. Or even better, you approaching people and like copying your mentor in so the mentor can see and say, oh, maybe don't do this and maybe that's a bit fake or whatever. And then once you've done that, all on your own, you know, at least an hour's worth of just reaching out using that one new technique, strategy, idea, over and over again, just repeating it. If I learn how to cook, you know, 10 minutes reading the recipe, 20 minutes cooking with my wife giving me advice on, you know, don't do that, do this. And then at least seven times repeating that dish before I go get information on how to improve it. Okay, so do it wrong seven times, which I'll actually learn how to improve the dish all on my own, just like anything. And this is where you've got to understand, even though I'm a coach and I obviously for my own sake, have to advocate you getting a coach. Most of your learning is actually going to occur in the practice phase, and that's why you need to dedicate such a huge amount of time to it. Trial and error will teach you way more than any video or course or seminar will. Because the number one thing you're learning is how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Once you're okay with being uncomfortable, fucking the sky's the limit. You can do anything then. Your potential is so limitless when you're okay with emotional discomfort, with taking behaviors that you're uncomfortable doing, you're unfamiliar with, there's going to be emotions that come up that you don't like. If you're okay with that, then you will accelerate your learning far beyond most people. Because most people, that's their real problem. It's not an intelligence problem. It's not a luck problem. It's not a resource problem. It's an emotional problem. They just don't want to feel bad. And so they're trying to learn in a way that doesn't feel bad. How is your brain supposed to change without the discomfort of growth. Think of your muscles being sore when you work out. That's what happens when they're getting bigger. Well, your brain will hurt when you work out your psychology 
When you do a behavior that's emotionally uncomfortable, you might be ashamed afterwards, you might be frustrated, disappointed, confused. These are the emotions you have to go through in that 70% period. Okay. Um, you know, a real life example for me with dancing, you know, I'd go to a class, which is kind of a combination of passive learning and active learning. So the guy would be saying stuff and you're, or you're just watching them dance. And then you practice with a partner while the instructor critiques you and i'd do that but then i'd go to like social dancing for hours so i'd do a one hour class and that would be balanced by up to eight hours of social dancing so it's pretty much that 10 20 70 rule roughly and the key to my sort of success in learning how to dance really quickly with brazilian zouk dancing was that even when i knew fuck all even when I only had the basic steps, I would go social dancing. And this is what most beginners don't do because they're embarrassed. They don't want to go and ask somebody who knows how to dance, like, can you dance with me? And I'm going to do four minutes of the most basic step and nothing else is going to bore you to death. See, I was, I was willing to go through that pain. To, like, go ask someone to dance and have them be like, oh, for fuck, yeah, all right, fuck, you know, because they're going to have to just do the most basic boring shit off time and wrong. Uh, for like three and a half minutes, just praying for the song to end, just doing it out of, you know, the kindness of their heart. But that's how I got good at dancing quickly. I'm not talented. I don't have some sort of physical uh, advantage. I just followed a learning technique that most people weren't doing. I saw so many people do like four classes a week and no social dancing, and they couldn't figure out, couldn't figure out why they weren't getting better because they didn't practice. So, that's the first mistake people make. Probably the biggest one, which is why I put it first. They get high off absorbing information, thinking that they're changing when actually they're missing the main element, which is uncomfortable action repeatedly, or what you might call practice. Number two, guru worship. Man, have I done this one a number of times. You find some charismatic dude on YouTube or somebody recommends a seminar for you to go to and the dude just has all the answers and he knows you inside and out and everything he says makes sense and you're like, I've found the one. And you get all culty on it, right? And you become so obsessed with the person delivering the message that you become quite non-skeptical about the message itself. I see this a lot, uh, say, in the Red Pill community around Rollo Tomasi. You know, he's kind of like the godfather of Red Pill. And there are guys who will do anything he says, no matter what. He could totally, he could contradict himself and people will just do both. Because they worship the guy rather than listening to the message. And... Guys like this, you know, the, the guru worship stuff that happens, you get people just start throwing their money at the guru. Like, this guy knows all the answers. I'll just throw my money at him until he fixes me. I remember seeing that there's a documentary on Netflix about a yoga teacher, Bikram Hot Yoga. And he was, like, sexually abusing heaps of his students. And they were still going. And then the other students were defending him, even though they'd seen the abuse and so on. You know, and the yoga wasn't even that effective and he wasn't even doing it properly, and he had just stolen the techniques from somebody else, according to the documentary, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, you know, that's a problem with guru worship. The most 
one of the most important elements, I think, to self-development is a variety of influences. So even, even if some of you think, I've got all the answers, I should not be the single person that you're listening to. You should be looking at others, getting as much information from different perspectives, different ideas, and kind of synergizing it, taking the best bits that you like the most from everyone and discarding all their nonsense. You know, I like a lot of what a Jordan Peterson. I like a lot of what Jordan Peterson says, but I think his stuff uh, around politics and his stuff around Jung is in Christianity. It's bullshit. So I ignore all that stuff. But clean your room, fuck yeah, I get it. I'm on board with that. That makes a lot of sense to me. You know, uh, Mark Manson. I love a lot of his stuff. I really see eye to eye with him. You know, but I'm also cautious of the guy just sort of sits around writing all the time. You know, he, he isn't doing stuff in some visual way or uh, some measurable way that I can kind of go, yeah, he lives by what he preaches. So I've just got to be a little bit careful there. That maybe he's just kind of reverbalizing other people's philosophies, possibly. Um, Sam Harris. God, the guy is just logic personified. The guy makes so much sense. Yet he's also a bit thin-skinned. You know, he can get quite defensive about negative feedback. So I don't want to be like that. So I take the bits that I love and I discard the bits that I don't. And you should feel the same way about me. You should be like, you know, Dan's idea about the 10, 20, 70 rule is great. Um, but he, whatever it is, you know, I'm blind to my blind spots. So whatever it is that you think my weaknesses are, like, for example, I'm not very spiritual. Okay. My spiritual, like, rating is almost a 1 out of 10, maybe. I don't believe in anything supernatural or whatever. So if spirituality is important to you, I'm not the guy to listen to. I will actually possibly steer you away from something you need. So don't take everything I say as like this guy has all the answers because I don't have the answers spiritually. I'm half fucking psychopathic, right? I'm not the I'm not your fucking guru. You know the irony, uh, <laughs> that documentary, "I Am Not Your Guru" by Tony Robbins. Like, why did he give it that title? He clearly loves being the guru. He clearly acts like a guru. He designs his events so that people fucking deify him. You know, he's just a guy. Some of his stuff will be great. Some of it will be absolute horseshit. For you, at least, if not for other people. And you got to understand, even pe- people like me, when I do this... I'm trying to give as freely as possible, but there's also an element of me trying to build my business, okay? There's also, I guess, a bit of hope that some people will listen to my podcast and reach out for coaching. I'm not just randomly doing this out of the pure kindness of my heart. Though I do try to come from that place, it's not really humanly possible for me to do that. Well, nobody in this industry is coming at you pure. There is agendas, there is motives behind what they do, and sometimes that skews the message. Sometimes they might start selling an idea that they don't even follow themselves, but just because it sells well. Now, I really try to stop myself from doing that. I try not to be a hypocrite in any way, like not to advise anything I wouldn't do or haven't done myself. But who knows what I'm blind to? I might do it sometimes and not even realize I'm doing it, as would any other potential guru. Okay, A lot of times a guru is saying, this is what works for me. But they're presenting it as, this is what works for everybody. And sometimes it's not even what works for them. 
you, you, know, you take a guy like, I don't know, Ty Lopez. He really, really sort of promotes materialism and chasing money. And yet there's just something kind of off about the guy. And, you know, it's been kind of documented that he fakes a lot of what's going on for him. So it's not even really working for him. He's not even happy or content. You know, you get some of these gurus, they're making millions and millions of dollars a year and they still want more money. That's not a content person. That's not a satisfied person. It's probably not a giving person. So the idea that they have all the answers, well, the proof's in the pudding. They obviously don't because they're still trying. They're still desperate, needy, greedy, whatever. So understand they might have some of the answers, but they haven't found them all. (laughs) Ironically. If there was anyone in this industry that had all the answers, you wouldn't hear from them because they would have no ego left. You know, uh, there's a few people like that, but they don't sell courses. You know, they, you can't buy coaching with them. Uh, Sadhguru is a guy, an Indian mystic. He's an example of that. He just does talks around the place, but he just answers questions. He's got this great sense of humor. He's clearly got his own shit sorted. He doesn't really sell anything. There's very few guys like that. Even I'm selling stuff. So, please, don't worship a single person, because odds are at least 1% of what they're saying is dead wrong for you. You've got to hold that skepticism, get a range of influences. It's kind of like investing. You don't put all your stuff into fucking Bitcoin, take a massive risk on something that might be bullshit. You spread it around, so if any one of them turns out to be bullshit, you know, like if you've been following Brian Rose from London Real, it turns out, oh, the guy's a fucking scam artist psychopath, which it appears that he is. You can just drop what he said and you're like, oh, I'm still left with heaps of great stuff. You know, I'm still left with Mark Manson. I'm still left with Seneca, you know. Um, I'm still left with all these great ideas. I, I'm not all pinned on this one person, you know. Anyway, so don't do that, in my opinion. Number three, chasing a future self. you got to understand... Whatever you imagine your ideal self being, if you ever get there, you'll get over it very, very quickly. Okay. And the because the thing is, it acts like a rainbow. As you move towards it, it moves away from you. You'll notice this. You'll imagine like who you wish you were. And the closer you get to it, the more you demand from it. It, it starts asking you for more. You know, originally you're like, God, I wish I could make six figures. Well, watch what happens when you get to six figures. You'll be like, actually, you need to be a millionaire. It's like, I wish I'd be great with women. Well, you start getting great with women. So, yeah, but even better women or even more women or something like that. Uh, you can see it with body dysmorphia. There's guys who are like in the top 1% of ripped in the planet and they still look at their body and they're like, oh, look at this little piece of fat hanging off the side or whatever. You know, the ideal image changes because your current image uh, gets updated. There's a a concept in the kind of the optic part of the brain of your self-image, basically, because when you see yourself in the mirror, either literally or you know, metaphorically, like imagining yourself, your brain goes and updates it. This is why if you're losing weight and your only measurement is to look in the mirror, you won't see the change unless it's very drastic and very off, uh, very kind of quick. Because your brain just keeps updating. So you just can keep seeing the same person in the mirror, even though it's changing. Because your brain just goes, this is the new image. Log that into the file. And it can be the same, like, 
I get this sometimes with coaching clients. They're like, oh, I'm still struggling as much as I was. I go, well, go listen to the recording of our first session. And they go away and listen to it and they're like, oh my God, I'm so much better now. What the fuck? How did I not see that? So even your confidence can't be measured by just watching it. So this is the problem when you you set up like an I have an ideal self that I want to become. Is that even if you become it, you won't notice it. You won't believe it. And this is really, it's a couple of things. One is, it's trying to become something in the future rather than trying to be something now. And it's measuring yourself incorrectly. Now the first problem is, I don't know, I'll just use a real materialistic. Let's say you go, I want to be a millionaire. That's your ideal self. Rather than, I want to be courageous in my career right now. You know, there's there's a useful uh, purpose for having a future self. As you ask, what would he want me to do right now? That's about all the use he has. So like back when I was really struggling socially, and I imagine this guy who just had what you might call an abundant social life. I was like, well, what would he do if he was in my current situation? You know, I'm sitting at home on a fucking Friday night smoking weed and watching movies. Would he do that? No, he wouldn't. So I can be him now by getting my ass out there. Now, I won't have his imagined skills or confidence or whatever. But he is a result of what I do now. you got to understand, whatever your projection is of your future self, all that is, is an extrapolation from your current behavior. Either your current behavior would turn into that or it wouldn't. So your current behavior is all that actually matters. You know, somebody, the amount of people who say they want to be sort of financially wealthy, I'm like, well, what's your current budgeting like? And it's awful. They're not even doing any budgeting. Uh, or a person says, you know, I want to re- be really abundant socially or something like that. It's like, okay, so how many new people did you meet this week? Zero. Well, you're not doing it. That This approach isn't going to get there. So they're chasing this future self without any real attention being paid to current behavior. And if you focus all your attention on current behavior, then the future self becomes the current self. So I might not have all the friends that I want now, but I tried my best today to go out and meet people and be courageous and be more honest and be more vulnerable, whatever it was. And that's it. I'm here. I've arrived. I am my future self. I am that guy because that's what he would do. And then the other problem, of course, like I said, was measurement. So a lot of people measure themselves based on a comparison with an imagined future, which means you always lose. You know, you go to the gym and you do 10 push-ups, but you can just imagine yourself doing 50. Now you're 40 short, right? You're behind. Um, And this is what people constantly do is they imagine what they could be either based on like some highlights from their past, like, well, I used to be able to do this, which is a terrible measurement system. Or just straight up imagined future. What's this come up on my computer? Quit that. Um, a much better measurement system is how did what I do today align with my values? And I won't go into all that now. We've got heaps of resources and figuring out your core values. But if you make your measurement like not how do I compare to yesterday, how do I compare to a fiction that I created about the future? But how do I compare to my own set of principles in terms of behavior that took place today and only today? Let's say yesterday you did 50 push-ups. Today you only did 10. But 10 was your max. After 10 you hurt and you stopped before you injured yourself. That's valued living. 
that's a successful workout. You don't have to do 51. That would actually be unsuccessful because it means you took yourself to the point of injury, which is disrespecting your body. That's a breach of your values. So if you move away from chasing a future self to holding a current self to account to your own values, not only will you make more progress and stay on track, but you'll feel better about the the process as you go because you'll be winning constantly throughout the day rather than hoping to get some big win in the future and it just feeling like a big serious chore all the way there. So that's chasing a future self. Number four, materialism, attachment to outcomes. A lot of people talk about self-development as basically being something external they achieve. Health, wealth and relationships, right? Your body looks good. Uh, you have a hot wife or you, you have an abundant social life that everyone's impressed by. You're popular or famous. Uh, you're incredibly wealthy and you own all these possessions and so on. And they call that self-development. All that really is is attachment to outcomes and to external stimuli it means that your confidence is in the hands of things that are out of your control if your confidence depends on how much money you got in the bank it's not under your control if it depends on whether or not people like you it's not under your control if it depends on how your body looks and functions it's actually not under your control your body i mean you can have an influence on it just like you can have an influence on people or your resources and finances but ultimately if any of those things want to turn on you you're fucked even your own body okay your body decides, you know what, I'm just going to have a nice big injury right now and you're not going to be able to work out for six months. There's really nothing you can do about that. So you can be attached to outcomes if you really want your confidence to fluctuate like a fucking roller coaster and to give the power over your life to other people, to have people be able to devastate you at any given time. Or you can focus more on who you're being. There's only really one thing in self-development that you have any control over. Attempted behaviors. That's it. It's the only thing worth measuring. It's the only thing that you can guarantee success or failure on. It's the only thing that you really have under your grip. In your grip. So... You might do well in influencing other areas. You might convince people to like you. You might make lots of money. But you still don't actually have any real control there. You just were lucky and successful, but it can still be taken away at any given time. One scandal, uh, one financial crisis, whatever, and it's all gone. There's a kind of a, a theme in Stoicism. This idea like, I can either be a wealthy person, Try to be a wealthy person. Or I can be someone who doesn't need wealth. I can be a popular person, or I can be someone who doesn't need others to like him. You know, I can be a really healthy person, or I can be someone who can function no matter what. You can change the focus away from trying to get something to becoming a person who doesn't need it. It's a, a much more attainable focus, much more practical, and... It means that you're always focused on what you can control. I'll give you an example like either I can try to make more money or I can figure out how to use the money I've got to survive. That's controllable. I don't need more money. I just use the amount I've got. I can try to lift more weight than my body's capable of doing so that I become really good looking 
Or I can do an assessment of what my body's currently capable of and exercise within those limitations. So I'm at least doing something. I can try to make people like me. Or I can be so honest that I love myself so that I don't need anyone else to do it. And if they do, it's just icing on the cake. If you're chasing things that are outside of you, you're putting your power outside of you. If you, Instead of chasing, you want to make yourself into a person who doesn't need to chase. Uh, in my opinion, that's a much stronger focus. You're going to have much more success and enjoyment of life. Number five, chasing abundance. That's a fucking key word in this industry, isn't it? Don't they like to throw that one around? Abundance. This has challenged for me more recently than a lot of things, but through the philosophy of minimalism and the rather strong science coming up backing it, essentially saying that we're happier with less. You know, there's the studies into the paradox of choice, like the more options we have, the more miserable we are and the harder it is to make decisions. And then there's the difficulties with owning lots of possessions. Basically, they take up mental bandwidth and you feel stressed by the more that you own. The less that you own, the less stress your possessions give you, and the less ownership they have over you. Somebody's more fluid and flexible when they don't feel pinned down by their stuff. And somebody's willing to walk away from a relationship that's gone sour or is no longer valuable is so much more free than somebody who's ridiculously loyal to anything, try to keep. And the problem with abundance is it's never satisfied. You can always have more. So you'll never have enough. Whereas chasing scarcity, becoming someone who's okay with being scarce, not only is it easier or simpler, but you can achieve it, right? How can I do more with less? Now, in a sense, that's also never-ending. You can always do more with less kind of thing. But the rewards are instant. Whereas abundance chasing, you tend to just get hungrier. You know, uh, one of my clients actually... He was trying to achieve some financial goal. I think he was trying to make $100,000 a year. And he got there and straight away reset it to $100,000 a month. I'm like, you think $100,000 a month is going to make you happy? And the first goal being achieved didn't make you happy? It won't be long before he's demanding a million dollars a month from himself. It will never end. That number can always go up. There's always more abundance. And the thing is, it's not quantity but quality that makes for a quality life so i really recommend reading the book essentialism and understanding the concept less but better which is about cutting away as much as possible so you're only left with kind of the cream that's risen to the top for example if you've got 20 friends spending only your time with the best three friends you'll find that that's a much more rich and rewarding life than trying to spread yourself out equally over the 20, most of whom you don't even have a good connection with. So rather than trying to get more, try to get less, but better. Uh, Number six, loyalty to a way. So this is similar to guru worship, where you find a single way, there might not be an actual guru behind it. Let's say it's a philosophy like stoicism. Or it's the red pill community, pick up artistry, or uh, it is David Data, way of the superior man, or it's a law of attraction, something. There's one way, and you like 
bad investing, same as with the guru. You just go all in on the one way and you get this kind of uh, bias where you do anything the way he says and you anything outside of it is your enemy, right? It leaves you with no flexibility and almost certainly will steer you off track because of a kind of compounding interest, which is if the way you're following is 1% unhealthy, that will compound. That like grain of sand will irritate until it becomes disastrous. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but let's say, for example, uh, what's a good example? Stoicism is a good example. It's uh, what I consider to be the healthiest philosophy I've ever studied or known about and very practically applicable and you could do worse than following it. But if we talk about one little irritant in it, which is a kind of shaming of emotion. So all throughout text and stoicism, anger in particular is said to be bad and wrong. It's basically a failure to become angry. And I think this is partly a translation problem. I think when what they're really saying is to act out of anger, to do aggressive, violent, damaging things from anger is really what they're talking about being the problem, whether the feeling itself, not necessarily. But a lot of the texts really quite say being angry itself is a failure well that might seem like the only flaw in the whole system the rest of it's brilliant you know wisdom justice virtue living so on but if you're going to get angry every day and you will because you're a human being then this is going to become a problem and then it's going to become a fucking disaster if you're ashamed of anger if you suppress it if you keep like punishing yourself for having something that's going to have it it's going to keep happening for the rest of your life you're eventually going to end up a complete wreck. You either become pseudo-psychopathic, uh, pseudo because you suppress your emotions so hard trying to stop anger from happening, or you'll explode because of all that suppressed anger will just like pop one day, or you'll just be depressed and rage against yourself because you keep failing at the philosophy. This is the thing, loyalty to a way, eventually you're going to fail to follow that way. Christianity, for example, it is impossible to be a perfect Christian, because there are contradictions in the way. If you follow one rule, you break another. You know, uh, A lot of the Ten Commandments are actively spoken against uh, in the rest of the Bible. Love thy neighbor, for example, and yet the Bible also uh, condones and recommends slavery. How's that, love, love thy neighbor? You know, So if you wanted to follow the book, you can't. You're going to have to break one of the rules, and that's why... Christianity has become so moderated, every Christian I know breaks one of the rules because they just can't do it. Which means they're going to have the shame and the guilt. And I think this is actually why the Bible's written the way it is, is that you can't win. So you have to keep going back to the, the church for, you know, to repent your sins and they own you forever because you can't ever meet their standards. But again, it's like investing all in one thing. Like I've done this a number of times. I've become obsessed with a certain way. Like I became obsessed with pickup artistry and for a while, I was obsessed with Stoicism. I was obsessed with Jordan Peterson for a few weeks. The flaws that start as minor irritants became big problems. You know, the flaw in pickup artistry, for example, is that you're constantly using a strategy to try and create genuine connections. It's actually a pretty fucking big flaw. And what it meant was I just became really good at manipulating people, but felt ever more detached. I got to the point where I was so lonely uh more so than when i started 
And yet I was, you know, had girlfriends and was getting laid and seemed popular and so on. But people were just, you know, pieces on the chessboard to move around to me. I didn't feel any connection with them. It was a very lonely, psychopathic feeling. So that little grain of sand, three years down the track, left me miserable, right? But then I injected some honesty into what I was doing. So I took some of another way, took some radical honesty from Brad Blanton and some nice guy recovery stuff from Robert Glover, and I injected that into what I was doing. Now I had a mix, and the strengths kind of counteracted the weaknesses of the different areas, right? So, for example, radical honesty, you can follow that way blindly, but you're going to get into a lot of conflicts because it's basically just blurt out whatever's on your mind, even if it's really nasty, judgmental shit. Well, if you combine that with actually some of the social intuition stuff I learned in pickup artistry, which is, yeah, there's various ways you can say stuff. If you just consider it for a little bit, it'll still be honest, but maybe a bit less of a wrecking ball. And then you get what, what I call powerful honesty, considered but still truthful. But even my way will have its flaws if you play it out purely without injecting anything else into it to counteract whatever the weaknesses are. For example, my particular way is very suited for me around ruthlessness. So I'm like, if you're not a good fit for me, fuck you, bye. Now, that's great for me because I've got a good family. But if you have a shit family and you want to stay in a relationship with them, my way will destroy your relationship with that family. So if you really are... You know, for whatever reason, your values or your virtues say, I've got to keep family in my life. My way is going to bring up problems for you. You're going to have to compromise my way and do it a different way, at least when it comes to your family, if you want to keep them, because my way will get rid of them. Probably, or it will turn them around, but probably just get rid of them. <laughs> so you can't use my way if you want to keep your family. All right, number seven. It's taking longer than I thought it would. Unscientific woo. Just check the time here. Still recording nicely. That's good. Uh, the self-development industry is rife with pseudoscience and plain old-fashioned bullshit. Let's get back to the basics here. What is science? What is scientific method? Scientific method simply is the most effective way that we've ever figured out for figuring out what is true. Okay, it is a process of elimination, very high standards, very strong filters that only the truth can get through when it's applied properly. See, anything other than science often tries to prove itself right. right? If you're in a religion, the religion will constantly try to prove itself right. Uh, if you're following Tony Robbins, he'll probably always explain why he's right. If you're into law of attraction, they'll constantly justify that what they're doing is right and that it makes sense. Real science tries to prove itself wrong. And that's probably the most effective way to develop yourself is to try and prove yourself wrong, not prove yourself right. Woo, as it's called, is basically anything that cannot be proven wrong. Uh, Non-falsifiable. God, I can't remember what it's called, but there's somebody's teacup. This idea that there might be a teacup circling the sun out there in the universe, out there in our solar system. And you can't prove me wrong, because we just do not have the equipment to search that large an area for a teacup. You'll never be able to find it, so you can't say that it doesn't exist. There's a similar argument for God and religions. It's like, well, you can't disprove him, so therefore you can't say he doesn't exist. Well, the same way you can't disprove the teacup. 
a lot of the things that you'll follow in the self-help industry apply this bias this fallacy which is you can't prove me wrong you know law of attraction thoughts have vibrations you can't prove me wrong well that's a problem because if you can't prove something wrong if it's non-falsifiable that means that there's no evidence that can be examined because if something can be proven wrong it means it's real there's something that can be looked at and measured that's the only way you can know something's real is it could be proven wrong but when somebody makes a claim that can't be proven wrong, then your brain's going to really struggle to reject it and be skeptical about it. It's one of the biggest arguments that you'll find. Like, It can be simply somebody provides a lot of great testimonials for what they do and no criticisms. So it just looks like what they do perfectly works, right? Um, I've even seen some of the wannabe gurus on YouTube. They do this very clever little manipulation tactic, which is... They make a video calling themselves a scam artist. They do this very early in their career so that it's it basically it does very well with SEO and Google searching. So by the time they're big, if anyone does go, is he a scam artist? Is this bullshit? Their own video comes up first and kind of talks people out of believing it. So they kind of <laughs> they stop the argument before it happens. They they prevent other people from arguing against them by taking all the top slots for that kind of search very tricky stuff very bullshit i'm getting a little off track here but the key is when it comes to applying a technique or a new way or anything it is that you're practicing in self-development i recommend you try to break it rather than try to make it let's take my own approach like uh powerful honesty you know, I recommend, for example, if you're dating, that you basically just be yourself, your true self, on your first date, as if you're hanging out with your best friend and you hold nothing back. Now, rather than trying to prove that right, try to prove it wrong. Go out there and try to ruin your dating life with honesty. Push people away with honesty. See if you can do it. That will, you know, if it's good for you, if my way works, you won't be able to break it, no matter how hard you try. It will bring the results you're looking for in your life, even when you're trying to make it like not work. Yeah, not really sure where I'm going with that. But basically, one of my biggest problems with the industry that we're in is just how many people just make up shit. They use anecdotal evidence. Red pill is, oh, they're awful for this. Cherry picking evidence, using their own experiences as a case study that they say proves something. It's horseshit. Part of your... Uh, self-development study i think should be scientific research articles okay google scholar is your friend as my uh, buddy used to say let's say you find a claim go see if anybody's disproved it with scientific studies okay before you go and use it before you buy into it and believe it you know somebody says something like oh thoughts have vibrations okay let's go to neuroscience and see if anybody has found thoughts with vibrations. I can tell you right now, save you the effort. No, they haven't. There is no such thing as thoughts putting out vibrations. It's unfalsifiable, which means it's not real. Number eight. What I call academic philosophy. It's another way of saying unpractical philosophy. And you get this from people who spend a lot of time in university and a lot of time arguing in chat groups and comments online without actually living what they preach. 
And this is where you get contrarians. And these people are like, uh, they're just a thorn in my side. People argue against you with extreme and hypothetical scenarios. Just to prove you wrong. Without actually applying anything. Without saying anything that can be applied. There's a great story by uh, Sam Harris. The neuroscientist was arguing about some religious practices being objectively inhumane. And the academic types were said, well, you can't say that anything's objectively wrong. And he was having an argument or a discussion with a lady. He said, okay, well, let me give you this example. There's a religion that says you've got to scoop out the eyes of every third child. Every third child should walk in darkness. Are you telling me that that's okay? Are you saying, I can't say that that's wrong? She said, well, it depends. You know, and he's like trying to bring his eyebrows back from the top of his head. You get a lot of this in, in academic philosophy of people kind of arguing against an idea that they've never tried, they've never put into practice, they're hypocrites, they wouldn't live by it themselves. They just argue against it for the sake of arguing against it. A great example, I've used this many times, when I was doing an honesty workshop, and I quite often do this when I'm in workshops and stuff, as I challenge people to come up with a scenario where it's better to be dishonest than honest. Like it's a better long-term result. To this day, yet to have a really good example be brought up that I can't like debunk. But one person said, well, what if you're hiding Jews in your basement from the Nazis? I'm like, when is that going to happen? World War II was like 80 years ago or something now, right? 90 years ago, almost 100 years ago. But they'll just come up with something like this just to like, see, see, you can be dishonest sometimes. Like that makes a point. And yet that same person will leverage that point. They'll see, you can lie sometimes. And they'll use that to justify lying to their wife now, to lie to their boss, to lie to their children. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not even practicing honesty at all, and you're trying to argue against it? Go out and practice it and find me a real-life fucking scenario where honesty went badly for you, and then we can talk. Right? But until then, it's just academic. It's imaginary. It's horseshit. It's you just, my 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 my. It's one of the things I can't stand in the self-development industry is people making really kind of strong arguments and they don't even practice it. They're just like hiding behind a desk, right? telling people how to live and they're not even trying it themselves. It really bothers me. It's one of the things I hold myself to a very high standard with is I don't put out anything that I haven't tried or at least broken myself. So if I argue against something, it's because I went and tried it and it didn't work. Like a lot of my arguments against red pill stuff. I was red pill. Hard. I was a pickup artist for three years. That shit does not work. I can tell you about it. But somebody just says, well, actually I can say that because of evolutionary psychology, women must be this and men must be... It's like, go interact with a woman before you fucking talk to me. Alright? Go have a conversation. Try some shit. Anyway. Moving on. Number nine, trying to keep and change at the same time. And what I mean by that is people are working on growth, but they won't let anything go. Probably the most prevalent example is somebody trying to work on themselves and keep their social circle. If you change, you are going to lose friends. You can't keep them. They're going to hold you back. And the stronger you grip onto them, the less you change to the point of no change at all. Let's say, for example, you have a really negative friend who's really discouraging 
if you don't cut that person out of your life, eventually they will pull you down to their level and all the growth or changes you make will be for shit. Okay. You cannot keep something and change at the same time. Uh, a coach I had put it best when we were talking about my business. He said, what got you here won't get you there. And the reason he brought that up is because I'd been following certain practices in my business and kind of plateaued for a while. And I was like, man, I can't seem to get to the next level. He's like, because you've used up what got you to this level. What gets you to the next level isn't what got you to this level. You're going to have to let go of things. Um, sort of practically speaking, I was working with anyone I could get. And the next level required me having like a high standard for clients. So I had to let go of some clients. I had to fire some clients or at least, you know, put my prices up to the point of scaring them away so that I could find higher quality clients. Whatever it is you've got in your life, hold on to it very lightly if you want to grow. Where you live, the town you live in, your relationships, even your connection with your family, what you do for a job, you might have to let that go if you want to grow. I worked uh, a lot of my coaching work these days for some reason is with people who are wanting to turn their art into a, a career or a business. And I was like, yeah, you can't do that while you work a nine to five in a corporate job. You're not going to have enough time. You're going to have to at least reduce your hours so that you can make time to turn cooking into a YouTube channel or whatever it is that you're going to do to create uh, an artistic career. You can't have the security of money and the artistic career at the same time. One has to be let go. It's very similar to the hermit crab dilemma. You know, hermit crabs, they do this thing where they're getting too big for their shell. They pull up the next shell or the fucking Coke can or whatever they find next to them, and they get right next door, and then they go, they whip from one to the other. And in that moment of changing shells, that's the most vulnerable moments in their life. That's when they're going to get eaten. The shell, they're safe, but that moment when they come out, they're this nude little crabby thing, you know, anything can eat them and it's a necessary risk that they have to take if they don't they'll grow so big inside their shell that it will crush them to death suffocate them so you have to do that you have to let go of the things that suffocate you old friends bad jobs poor eating practices a shitty city that you live in whatever it is you just be prepared to let it go you can't keep it and grow whatever you keep will hold you to where that level is number 10 Focusing on the results rather than the process. Or, in other words, getting too serious. It's, uh, it's probably I'm actually repeating myself a little bit here with the abundance point that I made earlier. The results can always be better. So if you focus on them, you're just going to be constantly coming up short compared to what you could be doing. But it also turns this thing into a chore, a by-the-numbers thing. You know, how many things did I do today? How much of this have I got? It just becomes a job. Self-development should be enjoyable. If you're not enjoying it, you're probably doing it wrong. And the way to enjoy it is to be about the process, to be curious. Can I do a handstand? What happens if I reach out to that particular client? You know, if I ask the girl out, I wonder what she's going to say. Rather than how many girls did I ask out today? How many clients have I got? How much money have I got? Blah, 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 blah. All the stuff that just drains you of energy and makes you want to fucking kill yourself, right? Self-development isn't about getting the numbers up. It's about experiencing life in a way that brings out who you really are so that you enjoy being you. And there's nothing really more enjoyable than curiously exploring something new and interesting. Right? So you can keep shifting the focus away from results to process. So rather than like, how many clients have I got? It's like, who can I serve and 
what's a really like interesting way that I can serve them today? Rather than like, oh, how many times did I get laid this week? It's like, what's the most honest thing that I can say to that girl? Let's see how she reacts. This could be interesting, right? Try to bring yourself back to like, what's the next curious experimental action I can take just for the joy of doing it, just for the fascination of it, rather than how do I get my numbers up? Because the numbers will never be high enough to satisfy you. Even you'll notice some of your numbers will be 10 times what you used to have and they're still not satisfactory. Well, you think another 10 times is going to be satisfactory? No, it's not. Like when I was a kid, I used to be stoked if I found $10. If I found $10 now, I'd be like, where's the rest, right? And my future self will look at my current income and be like, is that it? How do you survive on that? I'm never going to have enough money to satisfy myself. So rather than trying to make more money, it's one of the things I've learned over the last couple of years, challenge myself more with like, how can I provide for my family without making more money? Now that's a curious problem to be solved. That's about here and now. It's about daily kind of ingenuity and resourcefulness. How do I get deals on shit, you know? How do I, uh, you know, how do I live on little? something i can get curious about and play with all day long and it's not about getting the numbers up number 11 doing it alone there's an old african proverb that stuck with me if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together it's one of the reasons we started brojo mike wells and i is because man this shit is hard on your own even if the only other person is a coach, but even better if you're part of a community like Brojo. There are other communities, maybe you join a vegan or a CrossFit or you know, a book club. Whatever you're doing, try to find the most social version of it that you can. There are some benefits in going it alone, but and, and you, you go faster, you do, when you don't have to consider other people and you don't have to you know, be paced by the slowest person in the group, but it's fucking hard to do it alone and your survival rate will drop to zero after enough time because as much as the self-development industry will like you to think that you can be independent we are actually an interdependent species mammals rely on each other for survival and there are moments where you're going to not be able to do it on your own and if someone else is there to get you through that valley you won't completely drop off you won't completely relapse my wife's a great example for this. In my dark times, which happen, my valleys, there's a risk that I just start getting really lethargic, binge eating on sugar and going down a very bad road. She'll pull me up in a way that I can't do on my own. Okay, I know this because I was single before her and I'd get into these like binges cycles that's very hard to climb out of by myself. And because I was a coach at the time, everybody that I knew of was kind of looking up to me, so nobody called me out or asked me questions that they need to ask. She doesn't look up to me, right? She respects me, but she doesn't look up to me. So she'll call me out on my shit. We found in Brojo, one of the most powerful elements to the community was not solving the problems. It was just finding out that other people had the same problem. It can really help with self-acceptance to be like, oh, this is fucking normal. Okay, well, fuck it. Maybe I don't even need to solve it then. You know, there's a lot of problems like that that you don't even need to solve. You just think you do because you think you're a freak. But when you find out 100 other people in your group also have that problem and, you know, they survive just fine, you might actually go, well, maybe I can focus on something else. Who gives a shit? For example, uh, I'm not particularly emotional. And 
Sometimes it bothers me. I think, fuck, maybe I should be more expressive. Should I cry more, perhaps, or feel more? And then I go to my wife, you know, who is the opposite. She's like drowning in emotion almost all the time. And we actually counterbalance each other really well. So I provide the solidity and she provides the spice, you might say. Like I'm boring but stable. She's interesting but wild. And so we're just fine, actually, because the combo works really well. Us on our own is messy. Her on her own leads to depression, right? Because she just gets overwhelmed with caring too much. Me on my own leads to lethargy and apathy, because I just don't care at all. Together, we have an interesting life with boundaries, right? So finding other people to do this with, healthy people that are focused in the same direction, which brings me number 12, big mistake is doing it with the wrong people. That might even be worse. I think it is worse than doing it alone. Getting into a community similar to the guru worship problem. Getting into an unhealthy community. Like Red Pill, for example. Getting into a community where people are coming from a place of hate. Coming from a place of arrogance, perhaps. Coming from a place of brokenness and trauma. And there's not enough healthy counterbalance in the group to bring those people up. We're always very careful. We get a lot of, you know sad and damaged people come into brojo and we're always very careful to make sure that the healthiest people in the group are having the biggest influence and sometimes it's brutal but sometimes we have to cut people from the group because they're so incredibly unhealthy that it's damaging to the whole group so making sure that you're around people i call it facing in the right direction they seem to be constantly be getting healthier that's what you're looking for you know, the results in their life are constantly improving, but more so they seem to be getting happier, healthier, more confident, and so on, progressively. It's one of the things I didn't look for when I was in the pickup artist community. I was looking for, like, are they getting more women? Are they getting laid more? I wasn't looking, are they getting healthier? It took me a while to step back and go, you know, that guy's been a dating guru for 20 years, and he can't hold down a relationship for more than a week. That's not getting healthier, Right? I'm not saying monogamy is healthier. What I'm saying is this guy, like, girls don't stay with him. That's a warning sign, right? Um, Or you're following some financial guru, and the guy makes more and more money, but he doesn't seem to be any more content. In fact, he starts to get really weird and wild. You know, what's that guy, uh, Robert Kiyosaki? Rich Dad, Poor Dad? He's gone quite crazy lately. You know, talking about how money's not real, and he started stacking up... And he started hoarding gold coins and silver coins and, you know, getting into a bit into the conspiracy theories and stuff. I'm not saying he's wrong, but the richer he gets doesn't seem to improve his, the health of his mind. He seems to be getting ever more paranoid and, and, and angry. So I wouldn't consider him to be going in the right direction necessarily, though his numbers look good. So if you're around people and you take an outside look at them and go, you know, are they healthy? Are they going in the right direction? Is, is their inner world getting better and better? Not just their outer world? Um, yeah, make sure you're not around people who are either plateauing or getting worse. You go into, say, the red pill community, people go in a misogynist, they stay a misogynist. They don't get healthier. They don't get less hateful. They get worse, generally. You know, that's a bad sign. Alright. Number 13, I think it is. Creating a new comfort zone. So there was a weird thing that I, I noticed happened in Brojo quite a lot. Is a guy who was struggling with women would come in. 
and he would start applying our principles around being really honest and brave. So go out and start being really courageously honest. And within a few months, this would, you might say, get results. Girls will respond positively to this because it's very attractive, confident. And what the guy would do is, because he's now got the girl, he'd totally revert back. And usually we get a message like, basically all my problems are solved, see ya. This happened a lot, still happens to this day. Somebody joins for a little while, and then they go, you know what, I got my shit sorted, I'm out. They go off the radar for like a year, and then they come back, and they're back to where they started. Because they were okay being uncomfortable for a while, but when it started working, their brain quickly manipulated them back into trying to create a comfort zone. One of the things you have to accept about self-development is it never gets comfortable. Okay, there is no end to this. There's no end to the need to be courageous, I think is probably the most important value here. To go and do something that emotionally you don't want to do. To this day, I still have to do that, you understand? If I want to grow, if I want to deal with something, if I want my life to get better, I have to choose discomfort. There's actually a symbolic act that I do, which I've talked about before, which is to have a cold shower in the morning. The main reason I do this, other than it wakes me up like a motherfucker, is because it's just to remind myself that I have to get uncomfortable every day. I have to. And that there's no end to that. There will be no point in my life where I'm like, okay, now everything feels easy all the time. And I've got to understand that that urge I've got to create a life where things feel easy all the time is my biggest enemy. It's a threat, a massive threat to me. So what a lot of people, they kind of surge and die in self-development. They get all inspired and motivated. They do a bunch of uncomfortable stuff. And either it gets results, which they then get comfortable with and settle back down. Or they get burned out on discomfort and just yearn for comfort again. And then they relapse. What you really need is a sustainable level of ongoing discomfort. To be able to take uncomfortable actions over and over again in a way that you can survive doing for the rest of your life. So that's obviously a small amount, but frequently and regularly. A little thing each day. I really talk about like one action per day that you don't feel comfortable doing. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. A new type of workout, asking someone out on a date, confronting your boss. You know, learning something new. Whatever it is that you're like, okay, today I had to push a little bit. I had to go through an emotion. Uh, I didn't want to when I did it anyway. To make your peace with that being a daily part of your life forever. Rather than waiting for it to be over. Which brings me to number 14. Something I've already talked about a lot. What I call the finish line fallacy. The finish line fallacy is this happily ever after fantasy that we keep in our heads. Any of you raised on Disney will have this one. You know, Aladdin hooks up with Jasmine or whatever the fuck their names are. And happily ever after, right? Simba kills his uncle and for some reason happily ever after. So on. What those stories fail to say is, you know, by the end of the next week they're having problems again, right? Aladdin's watching too much porn and Jasmine caught him or whatever. There is no end to your problems, you gotta understand that the brain will make problems up. In fact, most of your problems have been made up your entire life. There's actually been very few real threats to your survival. Everything that you've had a problem with is really just you having a problem with it. You created a problem with it. 
example I often use as being stuck in traffic. Sitting still in a car is actually completely harmless, right? Unless you start dying from starvation because you're in gridlock, there's nothing wrong with being stuck in traffic. Really, it does you no harm whatsoever. So if you've ever had a problem with being stuck in traffic, you made that up. You told yourself it was a problem. Anyway, the point being is you're never going to get to some place in your life where you don't have problems. There's actually, uh, I have some problems with people like, uh, I don't know, the sort of spiritual gurus, Dalai Lama, for example. Um, there's a few others. Jay Shetty. Is that his name? A few that kind of give you the impression that there is some sort of eternal peace that can be uh, achieved. That you can get to a place where you have total peace with the universe the way it is, total acceptance. I just don't believe it. I don't. I don't buy it. I feel like it's a con job. That there is a place where you can be happy all the time. There's a place where, you know, nothing bothers you. That you are totally cool with everything that happens. I just don't think the brain is capable of that. I'm yet to be proven wrong, put it that way. And it's quite a falsifiable claim. Show me the one person who genuinely doesn't have any problems and they're not pretending. Um, so, really what I want to put out there is the idea that you're going to get to some place where it's all over. If it's done, you never have to try anymore. Nothing sucks anymore. You're at total peace with who you are. Your confidence has no flaws or faults. There's no shame left. There is no such place. So a much better thing to aim for is to be someone who can manage problems well. An ongoing maintenance for the rest of your life. Somebody who can handle shit going wrong. Uh, and someone who can even handle not being able to handle shit. Rather than trying to become the person who doesn't have anything to handle. Oh, that's a long fucking one. Alright, number 15. There's no particular reason I've left this till last, but it's a big one. Confusing responsibility with acceptance. Or in simple terms, not knowing the difference between the stuff you can change and the stuff you can't. It's been a big issue in my life, personally. And to this day, it's kind of like one of my big demons that I have to fight on a weekly basis. Focusing on trying to change something that actually isn't yours to change and you can't do anything about, while neglecting the things you can change. Bear in mind, there's... A real simple kind of uh, blueprint to this. There's only one thing you have any real conscious control over, and that is your behavioral reaction. Okay? Now, the things that cause the reaction are out of your control. So everything in the outside world, out of your control. A lot of what goes on the inside, out of your control. You can't control which thoughts pop into your head. That positive thinking bullshit is bullshit you can there's lots of science disproving that you can't control your emotions you can try to suppress them if you want to become psychopathic and a very dangerous individual but generally emotions happen to you by the time they've occurred they're already happening you didn't see the process of them occurring they just pop into your awareness so there's very little that you actually have any control over and therefore very little that you actually have any responsibility for you don't have responsibility for the way other people behave. You don't have responsibility for the way the world works, or politics, or economics, or culture. You don't have responsibility even for your own thoughts and feelings. 
in that you can't control any of those things. So they're not yours to control. What you can control, the only thing you can control or learn to control, is how you react to those things. So I can't stop myself being angry, but I can decide whether or not I sternly confront someone or I punch them in the face. Or I run and hide and get myself into a depressive tiz. Those are all options that I get to choose from. I can't make someone live their life the way they should, but I can ask them if they want help and respect them if they say no. Right? I can manage my reaction. I can't stop sex trafficking. I can't stop conspiracy theories. I can't make people care about the environment, but I can pick up my own rubbish. So there's very little I can control, and when I focus only on that, I'm almost blissfully content because everything's solvable, everything's possible. Whenever you feel stress, whenever you feel disappointment, anger, frustration, lots of different things, what you're really feeling is a focus on something you can't control, especially anxiety. There's a metaphor I use of somebody who's tied to a chair and they're thrashing about. Now, that doesn't get you out of the chair, but it hurts. So you could just be sitting peacefully in the chair, or you can thrash about and also get rope burns whilst also being stuck in the chair. A lot of people, they're just thrashing against things they can't control. People trying to uh, work a shit job so they've got heaps of money. That's all stuff they can't control. You can't control how much money you've got. You can have an influence on it, but if the bank suddenly decides to delete your account, it's gone. It's just gone. You don't have control over that. You can try to be really nice to people to make them like you, but if they just wake up one day and go, no, fuck that guy, there's nothing you can do about that. Right? There's so much you can't control, and most people are focused on that. Even when they get into self-development, they're really into control. How do I control money? How do I control the way people see me? How do I control my body? Rather than going, how do I control my reactions? How do I control the way I behave after an event? In reaction to. And I don't mean control your reactions emotionally, because you can't even control that. But you can control the behavior that reacts to the emotion. The behavioral response. You can't stop yourself getting angry, but you can control how you express anger. All right. Those are my top 15 that I made up in five minutes, and there's probably more, and I probably left off something really important. But mostly this was mistakes I've made, or I've seen other people make uh, that I work with, but mostly mistakes I've made personally. That were just dead ends. I shouldn't have gone down them. Well, that's not the right way to word it. I went down them. I learned a lesson. I'd like to prevent you from going down them, because you don't need to. Uh, hopefully that was helpful. Of course, if you want more personal support, get in touch with me for coaching, dan at brojo.org, and I'll see you guys all next time. Cheers for listening. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.